This is the Do Better Podcast with Dr. Megan Miller and Joe Smith, launching you into the future of behavior analysis. Welcome to the Do Better Podcast. On today's episode, we are discussing how we got into the field of behavior analysis. This is Megan. And this is Joe. This is where we blast off to the final frontier in search of improving ourselves in the field of behavior analysis. Thank you for spending time with us. Now let us begin. Hey, Megan. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Joe? I'm fantastic. So, I know that we have been recording for, for you to a uh, few episodes. This is probably going to be our first one that we're going to put out. Yes. Um, and it's titled, how did you get into ABA? So a perfect episode to start with. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought so too. Um, great minds think alike. <laughs> so, um, I thought about this as being like an intro podcast just because I love listening to like other people talk about their journey into ABA and everyone is kind of different. Yep. So before we start into like your journey and my journey, um, of course we had dreams and ideas of what we're going to be as adults when we were kids. Yes. So I want to hear what did he think you were going to be when you grew up? Well, when I was probably in elementary school and maybe even middle school, I kept telling everyone I was going to be a math teacher because I love math. And I just thought that would be a great fun thing to do. And then as I got into undergrad, I really thought I was going to go to law school. I really like to argue with people. So <laughs> I thought that I, everyone always said I should be a lawyer. So that's what I was kind of gearing up for. Even in undergrad, I was prepping to go to law school, and then that obviously didn't happen. What about you? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> just, well, when I was a kid, I was a huge bookworm, okay? Yep. So I have a whole slew of like different jobs that I wanted to be when I was a kid, okay? Okay. So let's start off with like the first one. I originally wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. But that is because I, uh, I read the John Grissom novel, yeah. Time to Kill. And I was like, after that book, oh, I, like, I want to be a lawyer. <laughs> and then I read Silence of the Lambs. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> so I read Silence of the Lambs. I was like, okay, I want to be a psychologist. Yep. I thought that would be fantastic. Um, and you'll notice the pattern as we go along, like each one is basically helping people. Yes. So I think that would be, that's a common theme. Um, so then, then Jurassic Park came out and I decided that is so cool. I want to like, you know, look for dinosaur, d- dinosaur fossils. So I was like, okay, now I want to be a paleontologist. <laughs> and then I Twister came out and I was like, I want to be a tornado chaser. 
<laughs> so eventually I got into high school and I narrowed it down to become, uh, I wanted to become an airborne combat medic because I was pro-military. I met with an army recruiter. Um, I was fascinated with uh, the medical field. And then I also liked the idea of jumping out of airplanes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to, I did that whole ordeal with MEPS and they did not uh, let me go to, go into the military. I did not pass my MEPS because I'm deaf in my left ear. Oh no. Yeah. So that dream got squashed. So afterwards I was like, I still want to be in the medical field. So I want, I decided to go to, um, I wanted to be a physician assistant. So that was my path. Yeah, that's a lot of different things. <laughs> it was. And it was all because of me loving, I mean, have me having the passion to read books. Um, and I would, I, I would read these big, thick books, uh, these big, thick books, uh, during, um, middle school, high school. And that's why I revolved my life around it was reading, which I love. Yeah. Um, so, so you want to, wanted to be a math teacher and then you finally decided to be a lawyer. Yeah. So did you go to law school? What, what was your, uh, what did you study in undergrad? So when I went into undergrad, I also had an interest in psychology that started around like my junior and senior year of high school. And uh, the school I was going to was like a really small school. So they didn't have, um, you know, and just in general for law school, there's not really like a specific <laughs> track you take yeah. for law school. So I did, I decided to do psychology for my undergrad and Initially, I had a friend who was really interested in industrial organizational psychology and basically convinced me that if we had any hope of working with just an undergraduate degree, it would be best to focus on that. So I did some classes focused on IO psych and then I minored in business. Um, well, I thought I was going to minor in business. I took, <laughs> I loved economics. I took micro and macroeconomics and the professor tried to convince me to become like an econ major because I think again, that's, it's related um, to behavior analysis in so many ways. And, and I also love behavioral economics. So I think that's why I was so passionate about it. But then as soon as I started taking accounting, I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I don't even think I finished. I think I dropped out. Not that I couldn't do it and get an A, but I think I was just like, this is a waste of time. I'm not doing this. Um, so then I decided because I um, hadn't like completely determined if I was going to go to law school or not and when I was a freshman in undergrad. So once I decided the business route of psychology was not for me, I focused more on, okay, well then I'll do law school. And I, what I really wanted to do initially was law school and clinical psych at the same time. So you, there's a few programs out there where you can get your Juris Doctorate and your clinical psych PhD at the same time. And I was like, I'll just do that. I, you know, both best of both worlds. Um, so I did a philosophy minor to prep for law school and took things like um, logic. And there was a class called philosophy of law. And those are really interesting. I really liked those. But ultimately, 
when I was finishing up undergrad, I had uh, that last year, my senior year, when I had to apply to graduate programs, the cost alone, you had to do, you know, your GREs and your LSATs, you had to apply to both the clinical PhD programs for psychology and the law school, there wasn't like one application fee. And just looking at all of that and all of the prep on top of like finishing up my undergrad, I was like, there's no way I can apply for both <laughs> law school and a clinical psych PhD. So I didn't, I uh, ended up going, well, focusing more on the clinical psych route, but we'll talk more about that after, after we uh, finish the undergrad discussion, I guess. So um, yeah, so that was my undergrad uh, background and I was on the debate team. So that was a prep for law school as well. So um, I really enjoyed debate, but I only did it for two years because I didn't even know we had one until I took it for like an elective class and then found out we had a team. So I did it my junior and senior year. That, uh, that's a great um, club too. So I didn't do it in college, but I was part of Speech League and the debate club in high school. Yes. And I loved it. I love to argue as well. Um, and debate um, my viewpoints. Um, and it's funny whenever I have rebuttals um, during the debates, and I, and I would just come back with something quick and be like, nope, this is what it is, and because da 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 and da da da. That's where I first love the whole idea of having data to support my decisions. Yeah. Um, so back um, to my undergrad. So I wanted to be a physician assistant. I applied to a different couple. I applied to a different a uh, couple different colleges, and I was accepted to St. Francis University, which has the best um, physician assistant program in the state. I was like, "All right, let's do this. It's only thirty minutes away from home, so I'm not too far, but I can do my own thing." Um, so I went there and I realized after very quickly that, oh, this is really difficult. <laughs> and I was studying and trying my best. Um, the class that um, hurt me the most was microbiology. And I knew it was only going to get more difficult as time went on. So, um, this was a point where I had to make, make a crucial decision whether or not I want to stay, try to stay in the PA program or find something else. And I decided to go to a different program. Um, so of course I had my, <laughs> my, a chart of pros and cons for every little, you know, um, major I could, I could take. Um, of course, psychology was up there i had um photography up there and then i had um education and i finally decided to go into education because i love to help uh kids and i also love to talk about history because i'm a history buff so i decided to go for my history secondary education um degree um from saint francis university so, nice. yeah, I, <laughs> it worked out. Looking back, I wish I would have, instead of go the history secondary education route, I wish I would have just went elementary special ed. Yeah. Get my special ed license. 
Right. But I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. And it's not, at least um, for the, I had a lot of friends that were ed majors in my undergrad. And I don't even know if it was an option at John Carroll where I went to do special ed, but nobody even talked about that even as an option. Um, uh, it's, I don't think it's obviously as discussed when people think about wanting to become a teacher. Uh, at least even for me growing up, the school that I went to for elementary school had inclusion. It was way ahead of the game. We had uh, children that were in the special education programs in our kindergarten through sixth grade classes with us. And we were friends with them. Mm-hmm. And that was back in like the 90s, 80s, late 80s. Uh, so it was shocking to me to find out that that that's not how schools were when I like went to college and got out into the real world and saw that like not every um, community is, is set up that way, even still, obviously today. So yeah. I had a few friends in um, even high school who were in high school knew they wanted to go get their special education degrees. But once I got to undergrad, like nobody talked about that. That wasn't, you know, they wanted to be kindergarten teachers or high school teachers, but it wasn't a thing for people there, at least to be seeking out to learn about special education. Yeah. Like it, and it was interesting growing up in the high school that I did, I didn't really know, A, I didn't know that I actually had an um, IEP, like what that even meant. Right. Until I got into special education. Yeah. And then I didn't, because I, since I'm deaf and left ear, I had an IP growing up as a kid for uh, speech services. Okay. Um, and I had speech from pre-K all the way up to eighth grade. Wow. Yeah. It, it was a long time. Um, but. We should do I, an episode on that sometime too. We should, because that was an interesting, um, that was such an interesting time for me. Um, I grew I, I learned so much during that time and, and how, and I love how my parents, um, raised me during that time. Um, they treated me just like a normal child. I didn't have, I mean, I didn't, they didn't treat me like anything. I mean, I was anything special. They expect me to do the same things. Um, but they did say that you need to a sit up front, which I agree. Yeah. Um, and I need to be on the, um, left side of the teacher. So I need to be on the far left. So then no matter where the teacher was in the classroom on my, as long as they were on my right side with my, um, with my ear that I could actually hear, that was good. Right. Um, right. In that way, um, it was, I mean, I, I could succeed in class, um, but yeah, I was mainstream. I didn't have, I, I didn't go to a special room or did any resource time. So um, I learned a lot <laughs> when I started, um, when I went to my master program, um, which I was going to come into. So now that we're done with undergrad, what do you do for your, um, your master's level? So for masters, I, um, when I was in my undergrad, I applied for five different masters programs, not masters, sorry. I applied for five different PhD or PsyD programs thinking I was going to go into clinical psych and I, uh, didn't get into any except for one, (laughs) which was very, um, very much a failure for me. I, 
was a, a straight A student. I did well on the GREs. I had always succeeded. And that was really uh, like depressing. Um, so nobody at the small university I was at really prepped me for like the expectations for clinical psych PhD programs. And it was, and that at that time, like the internet existed, but you couldn't Google things like you can now, you couldn't find out information like you can now. So I was able to find a story or two after I didn't make it into these programs about people even like more accomplished than me that didn't get in. So that helped me feel a little bit better. <laughs> um, but basically at that time, the average age for PhD programs was, um, was like late twenties, early thirties. And people usually didn't even get into a PhD program unless they already had a few publications. And for clinical psych, the schools that I was interested in because I liked the research they were doing were, they were huge schools like Ohio State, Duke, um, UNC, and they only took five people out of a thousand applicants, which I didn't know at the time. So anyone that's listening to this, if you're thinking about graduate programs that are competitive, make sure you find out all of those details ahead of time. I have no idea why. I mean, I was, you know, a, a young 22 year old you know, or 21 year old when I was investigating these things. And I yeah. had an advisor at my university, but they didn't help me with any of this. And I didn't think to ask any of those questions. So uh, it was, it was very disappointing, but I ended up, I, I got into the Chicago school of professional psychology for the PsyD program there, which was actually the number main one I wanted to go to because I had a colleague there and she was really enjoying it and they had a clinical psych and they had other options to focus on too, but they let me defer for a year. So I did that because I didn't want to go there just because it was the only place I got in. Um, so I deferred for the year. And during that time I worked in Columbus, Ohio, providing in-home behavior analytic services. And then I was planning to apply to like additional graduate programs during that year off. Okay. That's awesome. So yeah, so that's the funny thing about college is like being young, that young, like in my 20s, I didn't really realize like between student loans, um, what kind of per questions I should be asking about master's programs. Um, and I, I, I struggle with this, like my friends and I constantly talk about the topic how there needs to be some type of class or um, reform in our government that a lot, that has a mandated program for students who are uh, college bound to go through a class to maybe uh, help them understand student loan debt. Yeah. Help them understand how to find information, what questions you should be asking about the colleges you, you look for. Um, just like, just like things like that, because I feel like I was, I mean, I went to a really good high school, but I felt like I was also ill prepared for college yeah. as well, as far as like the business and money side of it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so you deferred for the year. Um, and do you hear about ABA before that or? I did. I, um, I had worked at the Cleveland Clinic for um, autism as my undergrad practicum. So I knew about it as like a treatment or intervention for autism. Um, 
at that time, they were basically just replicating the Lovas work. They weren't a replication site, but they were replicating the work that Lovas had done and published because this was like early 2000s. And they, they were doing more behavior mod than anything else. Um, but it was called, you know, ABA. So I did um, an internship there for three months and basically just helped with data collection. I didn't really get to interact with the children a whole lot. And then uh, they hired me to do in-home services with a few families near the university. So I worked with two different children for the rest of my time when I was at John Carroll providing in-home services, but it was basically just I met with them, you know, the first day and they showed me like who the kid was and told me a little bit about them, gave me a binder with some data sheets in it and said, see you later. <laughs> there was no, and there was no check-in after that. It was basically, I just went to the house and I, so I had to do a lot of figuring out stuff on my own and problem solving and troubleshooting to help like motivate and um, keep the children interested in what we were trying to do. And they were two completely different kids that I worked with. One. He was like five um, and he had, he didn't, wasn't vocal, vocally communicating yet. He had a lot of challenging behavior. And then the other one was like 12 and he was very, um, he, you know, could be in like a mainstream classroom, had a lot of skills, but he just didn't want to do anything besides bounce on a sensory ball the whole time <laughs> I was there, or go for walks. Like those were his two big things. So um so it was an interesting experience. And then for that year off, I went and worked when I, I went down and moved to Columbus because that's where my boyfriend was at the time. And I, there, at that time, there was a website called ABA Job Connections, and you could just go on there uh, and find families that needed in-home service providers. And a lot of families just hired like local college students, and then they paid you directly. There was no funding or anything. So I had four different families I worked for, and they were all younger. So I had an 18 month old, a two year old, a three year old and a four year old and worked with them for that year, just providing in home services. But again, it was just kind of like an in-between thing, like, oh, this is something I'll do to make some money and like, you know, make yeah. my degree, but I still want to go, you know, go get my clinical psych, either PhD or PsyD was, was the plan. Nice. Nice. So, um, yeah, so it was funny for me, like I had a different experience than you for your master's, like, right. So I did my, um, oh, lost my train of thought is the teaching my, uh, when I was a student teacher, when I was a student teacher, I taught for a ninth grade civics class. I mean, I was teaching ninth grade, ninth grade civics class, civics class. Um, I had an amazing um, supervisor, um, John Chesney. He was one of the best teachers I have ever witnessed um, uh, working with his students in the classroom. Um, and he had a, a co-worker, um, Cindy Davis, and she was a special ed teacher. And working with her and John Chesney and seeing what they do in, the, do in the classroom and how they work together, I was like, I want to do that. Uh, so I decided right after I graduated from uh, St. Francis University, I wanted to get my master's in special education, but I also wanted to work right away because, 
because I had student loans paying back and I didn't want to, um, I just didn't want to go to school for two more years and do nothing. Yeah. So if you know anything about Pennsylvania for teachers, uh, they are a history teacher is a diamond a dozen mm-hmm. and chances are you're going to be working at Home Depot or Lowe's or you're, and you're going to be subbing um, for a while until you find a position as a history teacher. Um, I know that's not the case for all history teachers in Pennsylvania, but um, where I'm from, um, that was a norm. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want to do that. So I was, so I was adamant about finding positions. So I actually looked in Virginia, went to a job fair at Fredericksburg and found a position with Northampton County Public Schools. Um, I didn't know exactly where this place was at. <laughs> um, so I went there to visit and I was like, wow, this is in the middle of nowhere. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but it was close to the beach. And I was like, that's better than nothing. So I decided, all right, let me go and try this out for a year. But um, since there was nothing there, I'll, I knew I needed an online program. And that's where I found Liberty University and uh, decided to do, do their M- MAT program in special education and did that for two years. Awesome. Liberty was one of the big universities that was really good at debate. They put a lot of their funding into debate, but I made a lot of friends through, um, they would always have, they had so many coaches and their teams were huge. It was, so <laughs> Liberty has like a lot of different, um, histories for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Liberty for me, like I only went to campus for three weeks. Uh, there was three classes I needed to take. They were a week long, um, each, um, so I really didn't get to interact much with the university and see what it was like, but, um, um, it's definitely, it's growing like really, I mean, um, really fast. Yeah. When I was there, we had to go for the debate tournaments and they had at that time, this was before online was even as big of a deal as it is now. And I think yeah. they had like an online community of like 50,000 or something ridiculous like that. But yeah, it now a very, it's a very interesting school. Yes, it is very interesting. And um, they do put a I mean, they, they, their program is solid, though. I will say that is that their special education program when I went is very solid. And I re- learned a lot while I was there, too. So, but I still didn't learn anything about ABA or applied behavior analysis at this time either. And this was back in 2008, 2010. Um, so your first um, contact with ABA was at the Cleveland Clinic. Mine wasn't until eight years into uh, working for um, my current company that I work for right now as a special ed- education teacher when wow. the supervisors came to me <laughs> and was like, yeah, I'm doing this and um, I'm a BCBA and um, we use this and with our program in the ASP program. And I'm like, I want to do that because originally um, I was a TSS for um, NHS human services. And it's kind of a TSS is based is kind of like a, uh, 
behavior tech or okay. RBT um, in Pennsylvania. And, and, but this was back like 2003, 2000, yeah, 2003. So, um, so yeah, I, I was, I was like, that sounds awesome. I love working with kids who have autism. So uh, I went home that night after meeting him and just researched as much as I could about ABA. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Cause after being a teacher for eight years, I was like, uh, I knew that I wanted to do something more than just be a special ed teacher. I wanted to further my education. Yeah. So, which brings us to our next uh, uh, question. Uh, how did you decide to pursue uh, ABA and becoming a BSBA? So even though my first contact was in undergrad, um, I, again, I didn't even realize it was an, a field that people studied. <laughs> so <laughs> I, you know, worked in home for, I had been doing it for a year at that point. And one of the consultants was graduating from Ohio State and said some, you know, the parent congratulated them or whatever. And I was like, oh, what are you graduating? Like, what's your degree? And she said, behavior analysis. <laughs> like, duh. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, what? You can go to school for this? Um, so, yeah, so that's how I found out, you know, and I was really loving the work that I was doing with the clients that I had. And I, that was still like, I was in the middle of that year off. So I was in that point where I was either going to be touching base with the Chicago school to go ahead and go there, or I needed to get my butt in gear and apply to some additional graduate programs. This was in December. Um, so, or I guess it was like actually the very beginning of January. Um, and so I looked and found programs that, you know, I looked at Ohio State's program and their deadline to apply was December 15th. So I missed it. And <laughs> I, looked at this like bunch of papers I had requested from different universities on the Gulf of Mexico because uh, that's what I decided when I didn't get into my clinical psych programs that I wanted I was just going to move to the Gulf of Mexico after I took this year off so I looked in through all of the pamphlets I had from those universities and Florida State had a behavior analytic program and the deadline was January 15th I had already taken the GREs from when I did my clinical psych applications previously. So I applied, I got it in right away. I didn't have any of the prerequisite courses that are required for the <laughs> program. So they had like, um, there, you had to have a history of psych course, a learning course and an intro to behavior analysis course. And I had none of those, <laughs> so, but I was just like, I don't care. I'm applying. Um, and I did, I was like, hopefully, you know, my, I knew I had good GRE scores and um, grades and I had, I had in-field experience. So hopefully yeah. that would make up for it. And I had the summer where I could find, you know, I was in Ohio at Ohio State right there. I'm sure I could take those courses if needed. So I made sure to mention that in my application. So I got in and the funny thing was for the BCBA aspect of it, I, that was back again, early 2000s. And I even had like a family or two ask about, you know, what is this BCBA thing? Like why, why are, what is that? Cause up in Ohio, we didn't have BCBAs yet, but there yeah. was like one person advertising that they were working on becoming a BCBA or something. And a family was like, well, what is this? And we were like, why would you do that? <laughs> like, what's the <laughs> point? Like none of these other people have it, you know, they're doing just fine. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of, 
I was, for where I lived anyway, that was a unique thing for people to leave the work they were doing. Because what tended to happen is you worked in home long enough and then you just became a consultant. So you didn't go back to school or anything like that. Um, So it was kind of unique to like completely leave and like go down to Florida and go to graduate school. But I got in there. Um, so then I had to decide if I was going to go to the Chicago school or go to Florida state because Florida state was just a master's program and Chicago school was a doctorate. Um, Chuck Murbitz, who was at the Chicago school and unfortunately he just passed away recently, a few days ago. Um, he was the person that I was in touch with about what to do, like if I was going to come there or not. And he, this just speaks to what an incredible person he was. He called me to find out if I was coming there. And I told him about, you know, kind of my career change and how I've been working with autism and behavior analysis. And I still really have a passion for psychology, but I wanted to get into to that more. And mm-hmm. Chicago school was starting their ABA program. So I said, I noticed, you know, and your, your, your website, you all are starting an ABA program, should I just go ahead and come there? Or I got into Florida State University and, you know, based on my current interests, would it make, do you have any input? Would it make more sense for me to go there? And he was like, Florida State with John Bailey. And I was like, yes. Um, <laughs> I had no idea who John Bailey was. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think he's there. Let me look or something, you know? And he was like, you need to go there. That's going to be better for you and like your career goals. So that was really, I mean, I don't like my life would be completely different if he hadn't have given me that feedback. So there's a lot of butterfly effect moments in my life, but that's <laughs> one of the biggest ones where I think about, you know, what if he had said, no, come to Chicago anyway. Um, so I really appreciate that he gave me that insight and, um, and was open about, you know, going there. So, yeah. so then I went down to Florida state and got my master's down there. That's Awesome. Um, and then after Florida State, you, then you pursued to get your doctorate at Ohio State, right? Yeah, but I took some, I took five years off. So again, compared to what people are tending to do now, that's not typically what a lot of people are going, you know, they go straight to undergrad, to master's, to PhD. And I'm probably biased because of my own history, but I would recommend not doing that for a few reasons. <laughs> student loans would be one of them. I fortunately don't have student loans. I had um, funding the whole time, but I had five years of being able to like make money before I decided to go get my doctorate and it made it a lot easier. But of course, the more you wait, the more established you are somewhere, it's harder to go somewhere in person, which is how I got funding for Ohio State. A lot of the online programs you're not gonna get funding for. Yeah. So there's pluses and minuses, but I think it was interesting to see um, some of the people I've seen that just go straight through. You don't have that work experience to kind of come up with research ideas and know what you wanna learn more about, and you're sort of just stuck learning about whatever people have told you you want to learn about, <laughs> like whatever you <laughs> have been interested in. So I appreciated having that extra experience to know, you know, what my interests were. Um, yeah. So then I got my PhD at Ohio State, but it, that's when I finally went into special education. So basically eight years into my career, well, eight years from having been a BCBA, um, is I graduated with a special ed degree, but that was my first, you know, foray into um, the education side of behavior analysis. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, 
Yeah. Wow. A lot of schooling. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm tempted. I I have thought about this, about whether or not I should go back to get my doctorate because my, my uh, best friend from college, he's going back to get his doctorate in, um, in administration. So then he could teach, um, college courses. Yeah. Education. And he was like, you should go get your PhD with me. And I'm thinking, I don't know. I mean, it's like all, all that extra work and more student loans. I'm, I'm not sure if it's even worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And the only reason I decided to do, well, there were two reasons. One, my husband wasn't home because he was in the military. So it was like, if I am going to get a PhD, it would make more sense to do it now before we have a family. And while mm-hmm. he's gone anyway, And then the other reason was I was hitting a lot of situations where even though I had my my master's from one of the best programs in the country and knew a lot about the science, um, that wasn't necessarily valued. Uh, People just see that you have the letters after your name and think everyone knows the same stuff. So Mm -hmm. I was getting turned down for opportunities because somebody else was involved that had their ed D or their PhD in like an unrelated field, but they were a BCBAD and, you know, had less experience than me, less knowledge than I did, but they just had that D and it was like, come on. (laughs) So I decided, you know, well, I, if I want to be able to like have these opportunities, I need to get my doctorate. So that's kind of, um, and then I could finally, when people ask me why I love Ohio state so much say, because I graduated from there (laughs) instead (laughs) of just, I'm from Ohio. (laughs) See, I'm on the flip side. Like, I, I love Penn State. Megan and I both know <laughs> this. Uh, I mean, we both know. Um, we joke about this all the time. Um, and then she's also a Cleveland Brown fan, just if you didn't know. And yeah. then I'm a Steelers fan. So when we, we don't typically talk about football much. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I never went to Penn State, but just growing up in the area for me, like, you know, Saturdays is always blue and white. Sundays is always black and gold. Yeah. <laughs> that's, our, that's our tagline. Um, so, but yeah, no, I always dreamed about going to Penn State um, to, get a de- to get a degree from there, but I just never did. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so you had a lot of schooling, but in any of that, I mean, while you're going back to school, did you have any aha moments about behavior science being in your life previously that you weren't aware of? Yeah. So mostly, obviously it was my mat, the masters at Florida state, just like the, even actually, so I got into Florida state and they did say like, Hey, you don't have these prerequisite classes. <laughs> so, um, I was really fortunate to be living in Columbus and I, you know, contacted Ohio state university and said, Hey, um, do you have any of these classes available that I could take for my graduate program? The one class that they were really firm on that I needed to have before I started was intro to ABA. So Ohio State had ABA for teachers, and they said that, um, you know, Florida State said that would count. So I just signed up for it, not knowing who anyone in the field was, and uh, John Cooper was my professor. So, (laughs) and I had no clue. I still, even when I took the class, oh, here's this cute old guy with a bow tie. Like, how awesome is this? And he was so amazing. Um, Every at the end of every class, he would bow in front of us and say, thank you for learning. And we would say, thank you for teaching us. 
and he used staff meds and just wanted us so much to like just learn all of the things behavior analysis. Um, we used his book uh, for the course. And again, I, but I didn't know like the white book, like I had no clue, but I was just like, wow, this is a really big book, you know? I don't even know if I realized he was the author on it because again, I was young and like naive. Yeah. So, um, so we obviously, you know, when I look back on my career and think about that, I was like, I, again, butterfly effects, like I didn't know that that was like, I yeah. just signed up for the only class available to me. And I get to learn from my first ABA class from Dr. Cooper. Like how amazing is that? So, um, anyway, so in that class and just like in my first few classes at Florida state where I was like, um, you know, learning just to the basics behind the science, like your, your traditional intro stuff. I was like, things were clicking for me. So when I was um, in undergrad, my intro to psych professor, his name was Dr. Bodimer. Bodimer, I always say it wrong. I'm not really sure. But anyway, so he was like really passionate about the work he did with primates. And, but I, again, I didn't know that that was from behavioral science. He just, showed us videos and things like that. So as I was learning about, again, you know, positive and negative reinforcement and all of that kind of stuff, I recognized like, oh, that stuff that he was, you know, so passionate about was this, <laughs> it's like the same thing. And I actually had an opportunity to go study the primates with him in Africa, but I was the only one that signed up for the trip. So we didn't go and I was really <laughs> sad about that. Um, so someday, hopefully I will get to check that out. I'm pretty sure he still does that research, but he's out in Washington. Also in undergrad, we had a professor that everyone was always like talking about her and her rats, Dr. Larson. And just like, um, nobody thought she was like actually crazy or anything, but there was just this, like, who would want to hang out with rats? Like, why, why would you want to do that? And there was like one other person in my psych program who was with her all the time and like constantly like mesmerized by these rats that I never even saw. I didn't even know <laughs> what was going on, like what the heck was going on with those rats. But then of course I was like, darn, <laughs> why did I not go do this rat stuff? Um, and then I also kind of reflected on stuff I had been doing as a swim instructor and even in gymnastics, you know, ways that I would like motivate myself or my coach would and think like connected it with, Oh, like th that was shaping, like trying to do it a little bit better or obviously reinforcement. Um, and then the other one was I had an undergrad internship with a cognitive behavioral psychologist in, um, the summer before my senior year of undergrad and his name was Dr. B. He was amazing. He went to FIT for his PsyD and he's up at the Cleveland clinic. still. I'm pretty sure, but he worked a lot with anxiety and uh, I, I was able to see that he was considered a cognitive behavioral psychologist, but a lot of the work he was doing was really just more behavioral than anything, but more based in behavior science with actual um, exposure treatment with, you know, he had, if there was a case where someone was scared to do something, he would work within his office, like create activities and exercises to do right there to help them work through that, as opposed to just talking and like giving them homework assignments. Yeah. So I was able to reflect on that as well and see how much it all connected together. So um, the, the one that I didn't have down in our notes for today, that was really sort of, uh, I don't know. It was kind of not disappointing, but just sort of interesting for the in-home programs that I was in. Uh -huh. When I took my intro to psych class, they were all called applied behavior analysis therapy programs. 
But when I took my class and started learning about functions of behavior and schedules of reinforcement, and then when I went to FSU and like had that exposure again and like in more detail, realizing that really what a lot of the programs that I was working in for the in-home programs and back in the day at the Cleveland Clinic, I doubt it's this way anymore, were more behavior mod. They weren't looking at function or they were, they, they, they considered that function mattered, but they weren't doing any sort of functional assessment or functional analysis. It was just this assumption that if they do something during a demand, it must be escape, you know, which yeah. actually happens a lot still in our field. Um, so just kind of seeing that as well, that like things that were called applied behavior analysis weren't necessarily completely connected to the science and things that I never had previous history or ties to behavior analysis actually were <laughs> to the science, you know, so it was kind of interesting to see that as well. And that's really cool that you had those experiences, but you didn't know that was AB and like has a uh, roots in ABA too. Right. Yep. Yeah. Like for me, um, I, when I was a TSS, I didn't know what I was, I mean, I knew what I was doing, but I didn't know that there was, um, the reason why I'm doing it is because it was based off ABA principles. Um, and I didn't know that until I started taking coursework and then I was, Oh, that's what I was doing. Right. And then again, another aha moment was just like, just being a teacher and what they were training us to do. Uh, I didn't know the terminology, but that's what, I mean, like pre-MAC principle, shaping, behavior, momentum. We were all doing that in our classroom, but I didn't know the terminology. And then when I was doing my coursework, I was like, oh, that's <laughs> why we're doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it makes sense. I mean, like, I, um, it was, de I mean, it's definitely interesting to look back and see um, that you might have been on a path that um, towards ABA, but you didn't know it. Right. Yeah. Did your, I forgot to ask you this, when you did your master's in special education, did they have any classroom management um, courses that you took? Yeah, they had a classroom management uh, course. Um, and I mean, it really just honed into basic teacher skills, like um, close proximity, um, you know, uh, setting up the classroom so uh, you don't have any downtime, items like that. What I wish they would have done more of is brought those ABA principles into that classroom more. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, I think our science is amazing, and if more teachers had the ABA background, um, I think they would be more successful as well. Yeah, not saying that teachers aren't successful. I'm just saying that that extra education and knowledge is so powerful. Yeah. And I see that in my own classroom. And that's a whole podcast we could probably do as well. Like why is the science of learning not incorporated in I, education? I, I do wonder, <laughs> I do wonder about that. Um, it's amazing though, um, just going to conferences, just in BABA, I've met a couple of BCBAs who are also special education teachers and they're doing some amazing work in their uh, their um, classrooms or their school districts.
But yeah, that's a whole nother podcast itself because that could, I mean, I could go on a whole rant. Why? I mean, about why aren't we doing this? Why aren't school districts really pushing for this? And what are school districts who have BCBAs? What are they actually using them for? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. So, um, with your, uh, you're connecting the science um, with the aha moments. Did that, while you were doing your classes, um, were you able to start applying stuff right away with your job then too? Yeah, I was able to start applying some of the stuff um, with my job. Um, but I will say as a teacher, just in general, you do have certain rules and expectations that do hinder things that you could do with your, I mean, that you know that you want to do, but the school district won't allow, or it's not, I mean, it's out of the norm of what teachers would do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can, like, I have had a um, couple instances with some backlash um, doing a few things. And, but I think, the more that we can educate other people about the science, the better off we would be as a field, especially in the education sector. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's definitely has been a crazy fun journey so far. <laughs> but um, that's I mean now I mean we're basically you know now talking about us now, but. Right. My question is, knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself, your younger self? Um, so I've been thinking about this one and I was having a hard time coming up with, because again, I think so, so much of what I, what ended up happening with me, I feel like is just, you know, happenstance. Um, so the, the first would be definitely don't change, you know, just getting out there and like, if you see something, you know, just the Skinner quote, if you see something you like, drop everything and, and learn about it. That's not the exact quote, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. And drop everything and study it. So I didn't, I didn't worry or think, I, I, unfortunately with my applications to the clinical psych programs, I just assumed I'd get in, but um, I didn't, you know, stop and worry about anything. It was just like, I like this and I want to do it. So here we go. Um, so I didn't let that stop me and that really did lead to a lot of great experiences. But the one big thing I think would be to, um, learn if there is something you like, learn a little bit more about it overall. So meaning that like, like I was saying, the lady, the Dr. Larson at our university who was studying the rats, I knew that I liked um, changing behavior and um, seeing those changes just from the cognitive psych stuff that I had done and um, and the, the children that I was working with. So like when people were talking about making the rats like go through mazes and stuff like that, like being a little bit more open-minded to like how learning about that could affect other areas of interest of mine, which I'm better with now, obviously, but back then it would have been nice because I missed out on some really key experiences that um, had I paid a little bit more attention to how it could have overall affected me, I might've benefited from. Yeah. I mean, thinking about that, I mean, this is a really good 
question too for me, just thinking back. Um, I, I, first of all, I would all, I'll, I would tell my younger self is like, really learn about suit loans. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also to really follow your passion and don't let other people derail you. Mm-hmm. Um, follow your heart. Um, and I think for the most part, I have done that. Um, getting into teaching, um, people told me that there's no money in teaching or anything. Um, but I did it anyways because I was passionate about it. And it's definitely been one of the best things I have done. Um, same way with ABA. I, I, I just wanted to follow. I, I didn't know where it would lead me to. But I just knew it would um, benefit me and made me a better person. And continue. it would allow me to continue my passion to work with kids who have disabilities um, that I can, I can help them be, um, I could help them succeed and live a fuller life. Yeah. Uh, Because so many people have done so many things for me when I was a kid. Like I have always found specific people who really push me but also helped me along and took me under their wing to really guide me. Yeah. And I'm grateful for those people because that's what I needed. Um, I needed someone to help me out because, um, because of my A, disability, but B, just to uh, push me through becoming a better individual. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> it's been a long journey, but I'll, I love it. Yeah. Um, I definitely think the student loan thing is. <laughs> yes. The student loan thing. And yes, that, that could be a whole nother podcast too. Just, <laughs> just, 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 you know, just thinking like, all right, you're going to be a teacher. This is the amount of student loan that you're going to have. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but, I mean, um, and it's not just me; it's everyone. And I mean, it's a lot of people. So, yeah. but yeah. So, um, so that was what you would tell your younger self. Um, but did you have any fears when you started working as a BCBA? You know, I, uh, I didn't, and I'm not sure that that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> So I was fortunate FSU's program really prepares you well for the, um, like understanding the science and we had a lot of applied practice and I was pretty confident I'd had basically two years of working with clients and developing programming. And then of course you heard about my initial experience at, uh, that went in home up in Cleveland doing a lot of my own stuff anyway. So I was actually pretty confident. I didn't have, um, fears, but that's, like I said, not necessarily a good thing because if you're too confident, then you might not learn or seek out help when needed. So the other thing though, that FSU was really good about was instilling in us the importance of, you know, working within your competency. And if you are working in a situation that you don't have experience with, or you're not comfortable with to make sure to reach out and they encouraged us to contact them. So Dr. Murphy, who was the main professor that I worked with at FSU, he 
um, really encouraged us to reach out to him if we needed anything. So then I knew like with clients that I was working with, I, if I needed any additional guidance, I could touch base with him. So I think that helped a bit as well. Um, when I first went out completely on my own because I worked at a company and straight out of grad school and then I went back and worked at Florida State. So when I first moved up to Virginia and I was completely by myself, I did finally have a fear. And that was that I wouldn't have any clients because I didn't, <laughs> didn't know anybody there and I didn't know how to get clients. I'd always worked for a business that was established and had a client base. So I had, for the first few months there, I was um, real nervous about not getting paid and not getting clients. <laughs> but like behavior skills wise, I was not, you know, I didn't have any um, difficulties there. And anytime that I felt like I needed to learn about something, I would just seek that out. So I think that's part of it too. Like I was never scared of, you know, not knowing what I was doing because if I encounter, I just, I guess I just kind of take that as that's what we do. That's our job. We problem solve and we troubleshoot. So of course we're going to encounter things that we are new and novel and we have to figure out a solution to. And if I don't already have the answer, then I have resources to figure out an answer. So I know that's one that a lot of people talk about, but that's, I just never experienced that. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting because I haven't like for me. Yeah. I, my bigger, my first biggest fear was passing the test. I mean, bottom line, like, I, I mean, I know Odie uh, really did. I mean, I got my ABA certificate by uh, at um, Old Dominion University, by the way. Yeah. Um, but, um, they prepared me pretty well. Um, I did a lot of things. Like I studied for a solid year, got in with a really good group of people to study with that we just meshed with. Um, and my wife, who is the most amazing human being, being I know, uh, really uh, allowed me to study and was amazing at, you know, help me out by making dinner or um, really just being my biggest supporter, but um, just passing that test. And I did it. I, my whole motto was one and done. That yeah. was it. <laughs> one and done. So um, it's like when Ohio State won the national championship. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's true. Although so, I think it was one and not done because you had to play another game to win or something like that. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so, um, but I think my biggest fear, like once I passed, was um, messing up. Um, yeah. Because part of me being a teacher is I want to do things right and not have to um, not make any mistakes. And yeah. I think yeah. that's just comes from being an educator. So, um, that was just my biggest fear. Other than that, um, I know I knew my limitations. I knew that I'm always I'm always gonna be a lifelong learner. So, um, so yeah. But um, did you think ABA? I mean, getting into uh, applied behavior analysis was a great career choice. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't realize at the time, like, obviously, for me, I was working mostly, I was focused on autism. So um, I didn't really think about a career. Like, I just yeah. never really thought about it in that way. It was just this is my like, this is my life. This is 
my passion. Um, I, this is what I want to do. And it's been really interesting the places I've been able to go and the people I've been able to meet. I never, if you had asked me back when I was in my twenties, even if you had asked me back when I, when I was in like my early thirties, if I would have done all the things that I've done so far, I would have not believed you. Um, so it's an amazing opportunity to connect with. I think the nice thing about our science is it's, it's, there's obviously different cultural factors, you know, that come into play depending on where you're implementing things and using the science, but it's also a unifying thing as well. Like we all respond <laughs> to <laughs> reinforcement, you know, like the antecedent behavior consequence, like all of those types of things, regardless of if you're living here in the United States, if you're living on a stranded island or, you know, a different country, like all of that is uniform um, and something we can, even if we speak different languages, we can all connect over and then learn from each other. So I think that, that that's very rare to have a field like that where you, from the beginning, you can just sort of connect over one piece of information and then build a relationship pretty quickly. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, so far, like, I mean, I have only be, I only have, I have only been in the uh, field of applied behavior analysis for a year and a couple months, but I love it. I love working with these families and um, using our science to help their, not only their, their sons or daughters out, but also the family. Um, and make a meaningful change to their lives. So, but I'm looking forward to seeing what's in the future with this field as well. Yeah, that's, I think that's true as well. Um, well, for anyone who's listening right now, both uh, Joe and I have, we're, we work from home. So you get to experience <laughs> the lovely pleasure of having either children or animals within your house. So we've gotten through like a pretty long hour and a half of keeping our uh, pets and children entertained, but we're kind <laughs> of at that point now where everybody needs attention. So <laughs> So yeah, so now we need to uh, give them some attention and some reinforcement. Yes. Um, so um, thank you, Megan. Yep. Um, well, it was great. A blast. Sorry, I was going to say it was great learning more about like your experience and how you got into behavior analysis and like how drastically different our two backgrounds <laughs> are. And I think that's good for people to know going into the podcast um, so that they can see, you know, that that you'll get a unique perspective when we have our different discussions about whatever topics we're discussing, because I, we both have very different experiences. So I'm really looking yeah. forward to future episodes and conversations. I am too. So, um, until next time, <laughs> relax, enjoy, and learn as much as you can. Love it. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Now go forth on your quest and do better.